I'd ask your uh, prayers for my kids. Their grandfather, uh, Roy Anderson, stepped into eternity last night about 8 o'clock over at Huron Lee Nursing Home at Brussels. I was there with him. Uh, his son had been there until about quarter after 5, and then he kind of changed shifts and that. Um, so uh, please pray for Emily and Keith and Allison and uh, Meredith as they'll be missing their granddad. Um, so when, when that moment comes for you or me, Let's be ready. Yeah, Roy was 90, uh, so uh, pray for God to have mercy on his soul. Today's message, what kind of king would you really want anyway? Your section, facing a great challenge. Are you facing any challenges in your life lately? Any obstacles or problems that may seem insurmountable? In John 6, Jesus and the disciples were encountering a challenge. On the east side of the Sea of Galilee, one day, Jesus saw a mega amount of people descending upon them. John 6, 2. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Verse 5 reiterates, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Our best estimate of the overall size of this great crowd, according to John MacArthur, would be about 20,000 people by the time you include women and children. Say, Philip, we're having a few guests over for lunch. We're way out here in the middle of nowhere, and they've come a long way to get here. How about rounding up a few snacks, say about 20,000 or so? Wouldn't the size of that challenge just about floor you? Are there similar stresses you're facing at this point in your life you don't feel quite up to? When Frank Lloyd Wright accepted the task of designing the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, he realized that he had his work cut out for him. Japan is a land of frequent shakes and tremors. The challenge was to build a building that could withstand the Earth's instability. He discovered eight feet below the surface of the ground where the building was to stand lay a 60-foot bed of soft mud. <clears throat> this gave him an idea. Why not float the Imperial Hotel building on this bed of mud and let it absorb the shock of any quake? The cynics laughed at him. Other architects said it was impossible. Frank Lloyd Wright built the hotel anyway. Not long after its completion, the structure was put to the test. Japan experienced its worst earthquake in 52 years. All around Tokyo, buildings were destroyed, but the Imperial Hotel stood firm. By the way, I was told once the Soil Science Building at the University of Guelph uses the same principle. It was built to float. The engineers proved they were up to the challenge. Can it be a test? The challenge becomes an opportunity for faith to grow. But to emphasize the point, Jesus first approaches the disciples to get their suggestions. New Living Translation puts his query to Philip in these words, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? John the Gospel writer adds in verse 6, He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. What's in your heart, Philip? Are you going to rely on your own resources? Are you automatically going to turn to the Lord to bring him into this equation? First, it appears Philip's instant reaction is to approach the challenge on a strictly human level. 
He sizes up the number of people, multiplies by the cost of a loaf of bread, and after some quick mental arithmetic replies in verse 7, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. God does not tempt us, see James 1.13, but he does test us. Jesus passed the tests in the desert with flying colors, relying on scripture to resist the devil's advances. Others were tested in the Bible, too. Abraham was tested by being told to sacrifice his only son Isaac as an offering before an angel intervened. Genesis 22.1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God tested the Israelites in the desert through 40 years of wandering. Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember how the Lord... Your God uh, led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. A test reveals what's in our heart. What's our root attitude toward God? Will we really trust him even when hardships arise? Hezekiah was one of the best kings in the Old Testament, yet God tested him too. 2 Chronicles 32, 31. But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. The Lord is eager to know what's at your core. A test peels back the layers to expose our root loyalties and commitments. Can we really trust him when everything in our world is falling apart? Will we pass the test? Someone has said, when you're going through difficulty and wonder where God is, remember that the teacher is always quiet during the test. It's assuming it's not a snow day. <clears throat> Messiah beyond expectations. The disciples are stymied. Philip's math may be correct, but he has left Jesus out of the calculations. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, ventures just a tad further. At least he offers up what's on hand. John 6, 9. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? How far indeed? Do you have five small loaves? What about those two small fish? It's not about what you don't have, but what you already have on hand. Don't tell me you'd give half of it to God if you found out you won the lottery and won a million dollars. Not that you should be playing the lottery anyway, that's gambling. God's not interested in the million dollars you don't have, but in the limited funds you do have the limited gifts and abilities you already do have. Are you willing to hand them over for him to use? The rest of this section just blows us away by the supernatural aspects of who Jesus is. We see he is an ample provider. After Jesus takes the loaves and gives thanks, the disciples, John 6, 11, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Wow. 
The fine point here is that John the writer is setting the stage for one of his main points about Jesus. Verse 4, John notes, the Jewish Passover feast was near. First, that seems kind of unimportant, kind of a throwaway line. But in verse 11, when John says Jesus gave thanks, it's the verb meaning to have Eucharist, like at the Lord's Supper in Matthew, Mark, Luke, which John does not include in his account, probably assuming people are already familiar with the Last Supper through the accounts of the others. John is building towards another of his major I am sayings of Jesus in 635 and 651. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Are you hungry for more in life? Do the pleasures and activities of this world leave you yearning for something deeper, something lasting? John is presenting Jesus as your Passover, the one who can deliver you from bondage to this world's woes and incompleteness. So John paints a portrait of Jesus as an ample provider, also as someone who has supernatural insight. This Radar insight spares him falling captive to the mob's plans. John 6.14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus knew their plans in advance and escaped because the timing wasn't yet right for his final confrontation with the authorities. This is another instance of Jesus' supernatural insight into people's hearts. Back in John 2.24, we read, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men, all people. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man, what was in a person. He knows what's inside you. Ample provider, supernatural insight. Jesus shows he is a Messiah beyond expectations later in this passage by his being sovereign over the laws of nature. Later that same day, after Jesus goes off into the hills by himself to pray, the disciples start heading back in a boat west across the lake towards Capernaum, home base. It's dark, weather is brewing, the Sea of Galilee is some 700 feet below the surrounding countryside, and cold winds can sweep down and mix with the warm, moist air above the water surface, stirring it up. John 6, 18, 19. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. Walking on the water? I guess they were terrified. Who ever heard of such a thing? Somehow Jesus, through whom the world was created, has temporarily suspended one of nature's most fundamental forces, the law of gravity. Verse 21, there's an additional miracle, sort of slipped in almost as an afterthought, but similarly astounding when you think about it. Verse 21b, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. 
Sure, Lord. Go ahead and bend the time-space continuum just like that. But if you can toy with gravity, it's no big deal to move objects instantly through space, right? Jesus is a Messiah clearly beyond expectations. All the great crowd were looking for was a political victor, someone who could kick out the oppressor Romans and keep their larders supplied with an endless supply of bread and fish. But for his disciples, Jesus reveals he is much more than just that kind of leader, focused on worldly power. He is God incarnate, deserving our worship and complete trust. God is not some sort of cosmic vending machine. You put in your nickel and out comes the candy. Jesus is not our magic genie, such that if we hang around and rub him the right way, he's going to keep us well fed and chase out the political oppressors. That's the kind of Messiah the great crowd was chasing after. But Jesus' kingdom is one that starts from the inside out, requiring us to confess our twisted desires and default selfishness, yielding our allegiance to him alone wherever he may lead. Even if he calls us to serve those wretched Romans by carrying their pack an extra mile when they coerce us to carry it one mile. Carry it two. Is that the kind of king you're looking for? You need to let him set the terms, not dictate to him a grocery list of what you want to make you happy. Our peace when unsettled. Are we willing? So Jesus comes to the disciples in the middle of the night, about the middle of the lake, the deepest part, in the dark, when the strong wind is blowing, the waters are rough, and they're getting exhausted from rowing. It says they were terrified. Are you about worn out from rowing, trying to do it all on your own? Have the winds been against you lately, threatening to push you back and wipe out all your progress? Are your circumstances making you wish you had a Savior close by? Are you drowning in others' unreasonable demands, things you have no control over? It's been heartrending this past week listening to reports from the flooded areas in B.C. People whose homes and possessions have been ruined, lives lost in mudslides, thousands of farm animals that couldn't be rescued and perished. Citizens and soldiers joining together to build dikes using sandbags to keep the waters at bay. When we are terrified, that's our cue to look for Jesus. 6.20, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. The I is emphatic in the original grammar. It's me The same Son of God that you saw multiply loaves and fish to feed thousands just hours earlier. What are you afraid for as long as I'm here? Can you give those fears to Jesus? That apprehension, that uncertainty, that unspoken anxiety. Can you trust he is really in control? Verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Great things happen when we relinquish and welcome Jesus into the boat of our life. New Living Translation, and they were eager to let him in the boat. Can we be so eager to let Jesus take over the piloting of our life? 
when we are willing, we soon discover he wants to involve us as his agents. He knew what he was going to do for miracle even before mentioning it to Philip. He welcomed Andrew's suggestion of starting with the little boy's lunch. It was just a small lunch, but it became super significant, placed in Jesus' miracle-working hands. What's in your hands? God's saying to Moses, what's that in your hands? It's a staff. Throw it down. becomes a snake. What's in your hands? Do you naysay, telling yourself Jesus can't do much with the five loaves and two fish you happen to have? I can think of 20,000 reasons you shouldn't underestimate Jesus. Don't be afraid. Be at peace. The security you've been searching for. The crowd sought Jesus out for his miracles, but he wanted them to see past the amazing feats for the amazing Son of God he was. It was around the Passover time. Though they were far from Jerusalem, Jesus offered them the bread of life, bread which they could eat and live forever. Bread that shows us God's love and care impacting our lives, reassuring us when challenges mount and we become terrified. During World War II, the Germans forced many 12- and 13-year-old boys into the junior Gestapo. These boys were treated very harshly and given inhumane jobs to perform. When the war ended, most had lost track of their families and wandered without food or shelter. As part of an aid program to post-war Germany, many of these youths were placed in tent cities. Here, doctors and psychologists worked with the boys in an attempt to restore their mental and physical health. They found that many of the boys would awaken in the middle of the night screaming in terror. One doctor had an idea for handling that fear. After feeding the boys a large meal, he put them to bed with a piece of bread in their hands, which they were told to save until morning. The boys then slept soundly because after so many years of hunger, they finally had the assurance of food for the next day. Do you have Jesus as your Savior? If you do, you you hold the bread of life in your hands and therefore have the assurance that you need not go out of this life in terror and fear. Let's pray. Lord, like the crowds, we have been rushing around in search of the magic solution that we suppose would solve all our problems. When really it's you we need, not a temporary fix. Forgive us for leaving you out of the equation, like Philip, baffled by the challenge of trying to do it all on our own. Make us willing to follow your instructions and watch you in action. Make us willing and eager to receive you into our boat when the waters are rough. For only you, Jesus, can speak peace to our pain and our problems. Only you can be our lasting security. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's all stand as we're